And I'm Donna Carter. And you're listening to Grow on the Go. You are. And every time I start this podcast, I go, hi, and I try not to overload the mic. And I could probably avoid all of that stress I put myself through by just saying, like, hello, like a normal person or something. <laughs> but I don't so know. Perky. So perky. Which I would not. Every so often someone describes me as bubbly and I take, like, personal offense to that. <laughs> and I understand that's how I come off. But I don't feel that way. You don't feel the bubble. <laughs> I'm a pretty melancholy person. I just guess, I I don't know. Would you describe me as bubbly? I would not describe me as bubbly. No, not bubbly. Um, but you... Enthusiastic? Yeah. Passionate? Intense? Yeah. 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 Intense. <laughs> Someone... I'm also intense. Uh, yes, very true. Um, Someone once told me that I love like an avalanche, mm. which is... The most true thing. That should be a lyric in I'm going to get it tattooed on me at some point. And it's true because, like, it's both beautiful and terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, like it is all-encompassing, and it, it doesn't care what's happening. It will it will sweep you off your feet, but it will also sweep you off your feet and carry it away. And it is overwhelming. <laughs> and it might bury you and smother you. It might smother Well, yeah. Like, I have a, I have a, mm-hmm. I have borderline personality disorder, which is an attachment disorder. Um so, so yeah, it's not always a great thing, but it can be a really beautiful thing. Mm. That's, what, that's why I, I, I really love it, because it is the most honest, but still very flattering, not necessarily complimentary compliment I've ever received. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you've given us a good runway into this, because <laughs> we're going to be talking about... Always on purpose. ...ways that we are unique. Mm-hmm. Like, I think something that's unique about me is that I am very passionate and really quite brave as far as trying new things while simultaneously feeling constantly overwhelmed. (laughs) Yes. You know? Yes. You are always like, I've just got so much on the go. And I'm like, you could stop. You could stop saying yes to everything. But you won't. And it, it's wild because my sister does something similar, but you are not wired the same at no, all. No, at not. all. Yeah, and it's it's that I'm passionate about a lot of things you that are. keeps me saying yes, and then and then I'm just like, ah, how am I gonna do this? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, your 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 bucket is functionally quite big, but. Uh, it, I, it sure feels small. Uh, yeah, because I'm determined to keep it to the overflow. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So how would you say that you're particularly unique? I think I am unabashedly authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes to my Startlingly detriment. so at times. Yes, yes. It definitely makes people uncomfortable. Part of that comes from ADHD. I just don't have... I, I don't have terrible social awareness, but I don't have the greatest social awareness in terms of, like, what is normal to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've kind of just given up <laughs> trying to figure that out. And I'm just, like, I, I consider it, like, dumping my purse on the welcome mat and being, like, sort through that. Uh, let me know if something resonates with you. And if it does, great. And if it doesn't, we don't have to waste any time. 
because you already know you don't like me and that's fine um mm -hmm. yeah i think authenticity is really important to me and i don't necessarily try to camouflage the things about me that could definitely use some work um i think i'm i'm also extremely passionate i have my mm -hmm. my mother's passion and my father's intensity mm -hmm. um <laughs> yeah my passion's a little quieter than dad's yes, and yours yes yes, <laughs> yes. well and dad's not passionate about quite as many things as i am i think yeah maybe. i think i have more of a general yeah probably passion and yeah. his is more more niche Focused. he yeah. loves people yeah he really, he really loves people but uh his tends to present in generally the same way and mine is just like let me fight for everyone forever yeah. um talk about overwhelming oh my goodness. i know <laughs> i do get a little tired um yeah i think those are some of the things that make me make me unique I think a lot of things make me unique. Several mm -hmm. of them are mental illnesses. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about uniqueness because we were each created to worship God in a way that no one else can. Yeah. Isn't that a cool thought? That like also the, is very overwhelming to me. Is it? <laughs> yeah, I just it think is it's so me. cool that there's billions of people on the planet right now, not to mention everyone who's gone before us. And there's still no one who can worship God exactly the way I can. So we're going to mm. talk about that a little bit um based and and our conversation today is going to be based on ideas from um mark batterson's book soul print this is not a new book it's one that i found in my bookshelves as i was organizing last week and it's one that w i was given an advanced copy at a conference um and i i think this is a really important book so i just wanted to talk about it and really encourage people to get a hold of it if if what we're talking about resonates with you so he compares um, the uniqueness of each person's fingerprints to what makes up our personality mm -hmm. which is what he calls our soul print mm. yeah he refers to our our individuality really as our our soul print we all start out as absolute originals but through damaging events mm. usually early in childhood mm -hmm. we often forfeit our specialness and we sometimes just end up becoming a poor copy of somebody else and it's because of those identity wounds that our true identity gets buried under mistakes under expectations lies we've believed and insecurities we've acquired along the way we, we try to be someone we're not, someone we see as more popular or more talented or successful. And instead of being the best authentic me I can be, I end up becoming an inferior knockoff of someone else. The more authentic we are, the freer we are. Would you agree with that? We talked about authenticity earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> like, you don't, you don't work hard at pretending or covering up no I work hard at a lot of things um like I, I work really hard at genuinely not hurting anybody mm -hmm. because yeah when you're really authentic and you're kind of just like whatever comes out comes out you, you'll hurt people's feelings and that mm -hmm. sucks mm -hmm. that really sucks sometimes people you really care about but do I work really hard to appear different no <laughs> I do not have the energy for that mm -hmm. I did that all through junior high and it was exhausting it is exhausting it is yeah, and trying to be someone we're not is forfeiting our spiritual birthright. Mm -hmm. We're no longer that unique 
person that God created to worship him in a very special distinct and unique way, way. Yeah. distinct way. That's a good word. Um, so when that happens, when we have an identity wound early, that causes us to try to be someone we're not. Mm-hmm. We really, we're not just lying to ourselves, we're actually losing ourselves. Mm-hmm. So how is our identity injured? Well, I think this is super interesting. Psychologists say that self-concept is defined by a very small number of experiences. Mm. Only 1% of our experiences even make it into our conscious memory. And it's about 1% of those that define us. These pivotal experiences are often called by different authors and psychologists, defining moments or Mm -hmm. life-defining moments. And generally, the strength of emotions surrounding that experience determines the length it stays in our memory. So can you think of an early memory that was damaging to you? And I I recognize this is a dangerous question because our parents are usually the ones who do the damage. Yeah. And it's not malicious, right? Parents often don't even know they've caused an identity No, every parent, I shouldn't say every parent, most parents are doing the very best they can and they're messing 90% 90% of it up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I want to I preface this by saying my father is a very loving man. He hasn't always been a very patient man. He has become a very patient man. Um, he also just didn't understand this because I was a child. But when I was quite little, my dad's a big dude and he's not a quiet dude either. No, he is not. Um, and he fills up a room, that's for he sure. He sure does. He sure does. Um, and I remember if he would get quite frustrated with me, I would cry. And I I wouldn't necessarily know why I was crying, but it, it, it wasn't a choice. Mm-hmm. I was overwhelmed and scared. My, not that I ever thought anyone was going to hurt me, but like, I don't know, it's a lot. A lot's happening. Um, and I would, I would cry and dad would ask why I was crying. And I would say, honestly, I don't know. Cause I didn't, mm-hmm. I was like six. <laughs> um, and he, in his adult brain took that to mean I was trying to manipulate him. And so he would say like, turn off the waterworks. And he would say that for years. I think by the time I was 12, he'd figured out that like, I'm not doing this on purpose. Um, and to this day, I, I cry easily. I'm on the verge of tears right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not kidding. I, mm-hmm. I am. I'm willing yeah, up. You are. I can um, see. I cry very easily uh, when I'm passionate about something, when I'm scared. When If I'm above a six or below four emotionally, you know I'm crying. That's kind of me, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm just crying. Cry when I'm frustrated. Cry when I'm happy. Cry well, when dad I'm dad does that. Dad wills up. <laughs> dad does too. Dad wills up all the time. So it's wild to me that he didn't get it. But he didn't get it. Um, and he doesn't like being manipulated. No one does. Um, and so even now, if I start welling up, my first, the first thing I say without even thinking about it is, I'm so sorry, I'm not trying to manipulate you. Oh, wow. Um, because... I don't want people to think I'm weaponizing my feelings. I want to feel Mm. my feelings authentically. Um, And if I try to not cry, it's just so much worse. It's easier for me to just let the tears flow. Uh, But I'm so worried that people will think I'm manipulating them, especially like previously in romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, men in particular, I hate crying in front of men um, because I'm so worried they're going to think I'm trying to 
shape the conversation. So often with those intense memories that have changed us, mm -hmm. um, there's a lie we've believed. Mm -hmm. And the lie you've believed is that... I'm being manipulative. Or that people will interpret your tears as being manipulative. Yes. And men in particular. And that's so not what mm. dad was, was trying to impart in me. That's just what he understood. Mm -hmm. it, he was definitely applying adult logic to a child's yeah. act, behaviors. Yeah. He also and grew up in a house where I don't think crying happened very often. Mm, no. If ever. Yeah. Probably if anybody cried, it was him. Probably, yeah, yeah actually, and not in front of people. Yeah, he's got big, big feelings. Big feelings. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I've had, certainly I have um, memories. There's one that um, I really just feel like I got free of about five years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was, um, I mean, I had great parents. I grew up in a great home. Uh, I'm sure my parents have no idea. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, that, that this marred me the way it did but I was um, my mom was changing my baby sis baby sister's diaper so I was probably about five mm -hmm. and um, the phone rang in a different room and she put my hand on my sister's tummy and said don't move your hand not even for a second and left the room to answer the phone mm -hmm. um, I moved my hand I'm not sure if it's because I already resented my baby sister or if I just was curious to yeah, see. Because she did say, not even for a second. I'm sure you were like, mm, for a second. And what do you know? She rolled on the floor and, you know, started howling. Yeah. And my parents came running. And, of course, they were scared for yeah. their baby. Yes. And I was very much, um, first of all, ignored. Yes. And then... And then my dad got really angry and said, why did you do that? And I was so scared. He was he was so loud in this little wee room. And like we're in this little powder room. And bathroom. your dad did not get loud very often. No, he really didn't. He was like he was my nurturer. He was yeah. I loved my dad to the I mean, I still love my dad. Yeah. Um, he's in heaven, but I still love him. And, and he was an amazing dad. But in that moment, I was so scared I wet my pants. And then I got in trouble for that. Oh, I didn't know that part of the story. And How awful. And so about five years ago, I was at a conference um, where we were invited to ask God to reveal to us um, a memory where we had been wounded. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the one that came to mind. And then we were to ask Jesus where he was when that was happening. And what I saw in my imagination I can only describe it as a vision is Jesus kneeling down in front of me in that little bathroom as I cowered in the corner pulling me into his arms and then taking the hem of his white robe and soaking up the yellow puddle on the floor and as soon as it touched his robe it, it was just gone. there was no discoloration it was just gone and that that was my shame and um, that sense that I wasn't important mm -hmm. that came from that um, had me running after people's approval my whole life and trying to accomplish something that would make me stand out mm. and be special and be noticed and, and you were a middle child as yeah well. and I mean a middle child with big spaces right yes. and my older sister and my younger sister were both challenging for my parents yes, at times and, and, and I not. never was I was a super not. compliant kid so I mean you know there's some layers but that the healing of that experience has freed me to be authentic and to love people differently mm -hmm. um, because I don't need anything from them anymore mm -hmm. 
So I think, and you know, the lies that I told myself as a result of that memory is that I'm I I have to sparkle. I yeah. have to, I have to get people's attention because otherwise I'm going to disappear. Yeah. Um. So managing our our memories is really really important. Mm -hmm. According to Mark Batterson. Um, every experience, and this is a quote, every experience is a preparation for some future opportunity. And one way God redeems the past is by helping us see it through his eyes, which is what that vision was for me, right? So he believes the key to fulfilling our, uh, our destiny, our future destiny is hidden in our past memories, which I think is, is fascinating. Um, most of us are familiar with this, the famous sculpture of David, right? Mm -hmm. So many sculptors had actually rejected that piece of marble because it was filled with flaws. Mm -hmm. And Michelangelo, when he saw it, he didn't see the flaws. He saw a beautiful image inside a mutilated piece of marble. All he needed to do was free it. Mm -hmm. And so he just needed to chip away all the pieces of marble that were not a part of the image that he envisioned. And that is how God sees us. Our destiny is to become like Jesus but it's also to be unlike anyone else who has ever lived. Jesus sets us free from who we're not so we can become who we're destined to be. So why do you think composers or engineers invent or teachers teach? Or why do composers compose, engineers invent or teachers teach? They do it to give expression to something deep within their soul, their soul print, mm -hmm. right? It's really obvious to us that our gifts and strengths contribute to our destiny. But guess what? So do our weaknesses. In fact, the more you've got going for you, the more prone you're going to be to have identity issues. And uh, maybe that was part of my story too, because I, I was very musical. I was very artistic. Mm -hmm. I, was, I was a pretty little kid. Um, but man, that, that did not help me feel good about myself. Nope. Nope. And I, like, for me, a lot of, so many of the defining moments that come to my mind are, the message I got from it was, you need to be less. Be less. Mm. You're too much. You are too much for everyone around you. And I was a lot. Like, the ADHD is strong with this one. Um, and, like, I've got other issues, too. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I have so many. Mm -hmm. I have a small bouquet. Mm -hmm. um, and so much has just been, you need to be less. You take up so much. You take up, mm. you take the air out of the room. And I still feel that way. Mm. And, like, I still, like, if I go to a party with friends, I'll apologize to them after. I'm like, sorry, guys. Like, I completely just, like, mm. took the air out of the room. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I couldn't stop myself. And they're like, we love you. And mm. we like you and... What a gift. Yeah, I'm very grateful uh, for that and for them. Um, I don't remember why I brought this up. What was the last thing you said? <laughs> well, I talked about our soul print and that, that um, we do what we do because oh, it's yes. an expression of who we are. Yes. And so one-on-one, um, -on -one, I'm relatively low-key. Mm -hmm. But in groups, I'm more i'm bigger because then if it's a performance it's not too much it's a performance mm -hmm. and i'm i call it tap dancing i i even even with family like mm -hmm. we have a pretty big family i'm the i'm the loudest well sometimes um and the first to crack a joke because 
then it's okay for me to be too much because I'm performing. Mm. Um, and I'll make a joke about how I'm too much because then, then I'm in on it. And then it's like, okay, but this is a persona. It's a character. Mm. Um, and yeah, we just really try to cushion ourselves. Um, yeah, I, so I was talking about the idea of our strengths, um, contributing to our soul print, but mm-hmm. our weaknesses do as well. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, our, our gifts can become curses when they undermine our dependence on God's grace. Yes. If we fail to praise God for our abilities, they become a source of pride. And Batterson says that pride is simply the failure to praise, mm. which is oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. So there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that we have a gift, mm-hmm. but... My gift comes from God, mm-hmm. and he can take it away anytime he wants to. And that actually kind of happened I to me. I was going to say, that has happened mm-hmm. to you. But just before we get into that, let's go back to the idea of our weaknesses. Uh, on the, at the turn of the century, there was a pioneering psychologist named Alfred Adler. He believed that perceived disadvantages are often disguised advantages because they force us to develop attitudes and abilities that mm-hmm. otherwise would have gone undiscovered. That it's as we compensate for our disabilities that our greatest gifts are revealed. He believed that the successes that result are not in spite of our disabilities, but rather because of them. Yeah. You know, and I, th- I, I when I look at um, my, the loss of my voice, my singing voice. Yeah. I, I mean, it was, I grieved because I, a singer, singing wasn't just something I did. A singer was who I was. It was who I you was. were. It was your identity. And, and what I'd always got the most praise for my whole life but you know I would never started writing I don't think Mm. and probably not wouldn't have done nearly as much speaking you know who knew I'd end up on the radio (laughs) Um, I don't think I would have explored all that stuff if I'd been able to do what gave me so much joy yeah and that was singing um so what are some examples in your life of this especially with your ADHD and your anxiety where you've found a compens, uh, comp- help me now, an, an ability that compensates, compensatory. There we go. I did it. Um, ability, um, because of a disability. Um, I think because I don't necessarily have the most social awareness, um, like we we talked about early on. Like I'm just. very authentic because I don't have the energy to be anything else Mm. um so that's that's actually a good example is that I'm I'm authentic and I know I know that I'm a lot I know that Mm. I'm pretty polarizing as a person people aren't usually lukewarm on me they're either they they quite like me or they they do not like me and I understand either way um I'm a lot and so I make myself really vulnerable with the knowledge that I might get rejected mm-hmm. and that's okay. It still hurts and mm-hmm. it's definitely something I struggle with, but it, um, that's okay. Um, I'm just going to give them everything and they can root through it and see if something resonates with them. And if it doesn't, we can both move on. But I think that makes people feel, and even from a performance standpoint, if I'm like emceeing an event or something, I am. If I if I lose my spot in my script, I will say that, <laughs> and people love that. Yeah, and I think I make people feel pretty safe 
Yeah, because because I you're not perfect, and so they they, they and, can be real with their imperfections too. And they know I'm not hiding anything. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. keep a secret if I tried. Um, <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think, like with my job now, my job is leading people, and I am very honest with my team. If I'm like, I'm so sorry, like I'm I'm unbelievably distracted today. Can can you say that again? Um, they feel safe coming to me being like, yeah, you know what? I'm behind on this project. I just, I couldn't focus yesterday. Hmm. And that's a real gift to me yep. um, that they feel they can be honest with me. So because I don't have the energy to be someone that's a little more palatable, I guess. Um, some people are really turned off, but some people just feel really safe with me yeah. because they know pretty much everything mm -hmm. there is to know about me within 10 minutes. <laughs> I want to get into the idea of managing our memories. The word remember is repeated 250 times in the Bible. Oh, interesting. <laughs> it's really, really important um, because I am a composite of everyone I've been through my whole life, mm -hmm. right? My soul print is like a collage of all my experiences, all my memories. And because of this, no one can worship God the way I can. We mm -hmm. talked about that earlier. When I sing the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, I'm thinking of the unique ways that God has met me. And they're different from the ways that God has met you. Yes. Right? As a culture, we build monuments to help us remember important things. And as individuals, we can find our own symbols to help us remember defining moments when God met us. So those can be like physical objects that remind us of spiritual um, milestones Reminders of the past that give meaning to the present and holy confidence for the future. And I think this is super important. As parents and grandparents, we really have a critical role to play in forming the soul print of the little people in our lives. Mm -hmm. Because our earliest memories are often the strongest in terms of impact on identity, parents and grandparents can help manage their children's mem memories by the stories they tell, mm -hmm. the photos they take, and the keepsakes that they save. Children's brains are kind of like wet cement. Mm -hmm. And so we can mold their memories in a really positive way. Unfortunately, you know, as adults, we can't go to, back to childhood and form new memories. But we can invite Jesus into our memories and ask him to show us the truth of where he was in those pivotal moments and what he has to say about them, like I did with that memory of me in the bathroom mm -hmm. as a child. So one of the things I'd like to suggest is that... Um, Something I'm going to start in my own uh, spiritual practice is that I'm going to write in my journal or try to remember every day to write, okay, Lord, I confess this today, mm -hmm. but also I'm really proud of myself for this today. Mm -hmm. Sometime that I was authentic, that I was loving. Um, and in that way, I think we can become such authentic worshipers of God. I, but Batterson wrote this really interesting statement. If you told me that two of three of my children would love me at the end of their lives, do you think that would be enough for me? Mm -hmm. Each one is valuable and irreplaceable, and my relationship with each one is different. I love each for their uniqueness. God loves us as though there were just one of us. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there is just one of us. Our uniqueness isn't just a gift from God. It's our gift to God. Yeah. I think that's uh, it for us today on Grow on the Go. Uh, I'm Kevin Pankhurst. And I'm Donna Carter, inviting you to grow on the go.
Thanks for listening to Grow on the Go. Share this episode on social media and find more great programs at faithstrongtoday.com.